Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. The baseball playoffs are in full swing. And so uh, joining me to talk about them is uh, baseball big brain, David Brown. David, how are you? Hi, Andy. I'm uh, enjoying the contests so far. Hoping, like you, that we'll get a little bit of an extended series here. It's not looking great, but we'll see. I want to clarify. When I said big brain, I didn't didn't want to intimate that you have encephalitis. I didn't, I didn't mean that your brain is physically bigger than it should be. Simply has a lot of thoughts in there. Well, as they say in the commercials, if you have encephalitis, tell your doctor. <laughs> um, so because we haven't done this, um, we did it right before the wild card started. Um, I wanted to talk about the, the thing that everybody was kicking around, this whole idea that um, does the wild card round actually give an advantage in the division series to the wild card teams because they don't have to deal with the dreaded five day layoff? Uh, well, I guess the answer is yes, unless it doesn't. 
it's uh, it, it all depends on circumstances. I don't think the uh, I'm just thinking of the Phillies here that was brought up a lot in the Phillies Braves series. You know, the Phillies kind of had to piece together their pitching rotation, and they were, you know, they faced a fully arrested Spencer Strider twice, and you would think that those would be, um, you know, big advantages for for the Braves, and um, it wasn't really. So, you know, if you look at the history here of teams with layoffs, you know, sometimes it, uh, it I mean, it didn't matter last year when the Astros won the World Series. They uh, they had all kinds of rest and uh, they performed fine. So I think, you know, on a case-by-case basis, yeah, there can be some rust, but I don't even know if that lasts more than an inning or two. And uh, it's... It is kind of silly to to think that the Phillies had any kind of you know a- advantage from it. I think um, you know maybe the, the Braves got a little complacent, but I, I remember people complaining about how their offense wasn't clicking before the playoffs started. It wasn't uh, you know a, a great huge scoring machine toward the end of the regular season. So uh, and that just kind of continued. So I. I don't think there's any real linkage there, you know, any kind of science or even reason that can uh, say with a, with a fact that the the wildcard teams had some kind of advantage. They, I think they they usually don't. To me, it seemed like the disadvantage for the Dodgers and to the same, but to a lesser extent, to the Braves was that they both had key pitchers who were hurt. Like the Dodgers, yeah. everybody. Like, you know, they trotting Clayton Kershaw out to start game one. I don't think they expected him to give up six runs in the first inning. But with a fully functional starting rotation, he is not their game one starter anymore. Right. Um, and I also like that the, the Brave, who was the most vocal in his disagreement that the layoff meant anything, was Spencer Strider. He's like, no. He said I was rested, pitching on normal rest, and you know, they just beat me. Um, it, we, we kind of identified that as an issue coming into it. That for as good as those two National League teams were, they both were kind of ripe for an upset simply because of the state of their pitching. The the Braves seemed like they they would just pound their way through it. Right, like the, yeah. that offense was so good, they'll just make up for it. <laughs> the Dodgers never really had a chance, right? Like in the first, those first two games, they were they're way behind before they take their first at bat, and it screws everything up for the rest right. of the time. Um, and then I and then on top of it, Mookie and uh, Freddie yeah, just—they you know, got him out. Yeah. Um, and then there was also the idea that the. That the, if the Phillies could get the Braves in the in, where they only had to beat them three times, that made them more dangerous, and it all played out that way. But you're right the the Astros didn't have any problem with it last year. They didn't have any problem with it this year. Um, and somebody had the stat that since this started, teams with teams with the layoff are 24 and 14. So, I mean, even mm. though it's you know, we've seen what we what we consider big upsets. For overall, there is an advantage still to, to 
in the playoffs, the fewer games you have to win, the better. And, you know, these teams have an opportunity then to get rested, to get their pitching in order. The problem with, especially with the Dodgers, was it didn't matter what order they put the pitchers in. They, you know, they had lost too many key guys. And then you were well, talking about how the Braves weren't hitting on all cylinders. It's probably because they had the uh, the unfortunate uh, circumstance of in the second to last week, uh, they got to take batting practice against the Cubs for three days and then couldn't adjust to real pitching <laughs> after that. You're kind of joking, sort of. But there, there is something to that. I, I, I haven't really looked up to see. Long story short, you know, winning 100 games in the regular season is a great accomplishment, but it can be misleading in a couple of ways. I mean, there's some really bad and mediocre teams. You know, you can pad your record and kick the crud out of a whole bunch of teams that uh, aren't relevant when it comes to the playoffs. And the playoffs are just a little bit of a different animal. Baseball fans know or should know. Sometimes they forget. It's a, it's a game of matchups. It's a game of timing. You know, we already talked about the timing of the uh, the Dodgers not having, uh, because of injuries and, uh, you know, lawsuits, um, all of their pitchers. And, uh, you know, you can kind of go into the playoffs with a misleading front on there. You know, look out for this 100-win team, but, you know, how much of that is beating up against, beating up the uh, the lower half of the league and, you um, and when the matchups are right and the timing is right and other things, you know, there is uh, a bit of randomness to it, but it's, it isn't so much that anything can happen on a given day. It's that, uh, you know, if you catch a team at the right time, you know, you're, you're going to be better than them. And uh, I, I don't think there's, I mean, if you look at Philadelphia, I think you can, you can objectively make an argument to say, well, they're still the best team, even though they didn't win a hundred games. Yeah. So, um, this this shouldn't be that much of a surprise. I think we, you know, the media always gets caught up in whatever's happening in front of its face, and um, you know, I've been a little bit surprised at the at the volume and the amount of you know. Well, we got to change the format, and and you know, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, you can keep tweaking the format. It, it's fine. It's not it's not that important. You know, I still think, um, you know, if you, if, it, it is, it would be ideal to uh, not have as much of a layoff. Um, but still, you know, then you're also trading not having to win a round of the playoffs. I mean, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a big break for the Braves and the Dodgers, and they didn't take advantage of it. They didn't have to get through the, the weirdness of, a, of an entire round of playoffs. And, you know, they, they trade that for some extra rest, which might or might not be helpful. So, you know, there's not any, there isn't a solution here. You know, this is a solution in search of a problem or whatever. Right. It's not, it's not going to be any better the next thing they try. But if, you know, if they want to keep tweaking with it, whatever. Yeah. And the, the Dodgers and Braves didn't lose to bad teams. In fact, the Phillies from, they did it the second year in a row where they kind of punt the first 60 games. And then they play like a bat out of hell for the last hundred, where they had they were they they played on a hundred win pace for the last hundred games, which I don't think means they went a hundred no. I don't think that's that would, how that I don't think that's how pace works. Right. Um, but they were 
they might very well have been the second best team in the National League from game 62 to the end of the season. Yeah. And then the Diamondbacks were in first place for a big chunk of the first half before they went on that ridiculous free fall, free fall, and then they got out of that. So, you know, the and they're playing, I think there's probably something also to be said for, they're playing division rivals in those. They, two teams are very familiar with, not terribly intimidated by, and they just outplayed them. And similar kind of stories in the other side of the league, you know, Houston was kind of they weren't terrible but they they obviously weren't at their best in, in the first half of the season they got on a on a roll and the rangers have been at various times like clearly the best team in the american league and maybe a, just a shade below the braves and the dodgers overall uh so um, same kind of thing the phillies they didn't have I don't remember for how long, but they didn't have Bryce Harper for most of the first half. And then he, even when he came back at first, he wasn't hitting home runs. He yeah. went on some kind of terrible. And I know cause he was on my fantasy team. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he wasn't hitting home runs until August. So, um, you know, they, they weren't, you know, he's their, their best player. And they didn't have him basically until the last two months or so, six weeks. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, even though he was physically there, Trey Turner, wasn't any good until right. August 1st. He got a standing ovation at home, and he, mar- and he just took off. The reverse psychology. Yeah. Yep. Uh, another topic that was beaten into the ground was the oh-so-controversial uh, Orlando Arcia locker room. Things I scream out loud in the locker room in the presence of the media are clearly off the record. Especially the profane rantings of Attaboy Harper. Couldn't believe that got repeated. And it was all mad at the at the reporter who said him and then um very strangely, Alana Rizzo went on her I don't know if she's on every day or just weekly on the <clears throat> Chris Russo's little shout show on uh, MLB Network. And she was just all over referring to the guy as a blogger and it was like she was trying to take the state of sports writing back a decade. Right. Um, it, the reason it became a thing was that Bryce Harper hit two home runs and stared at Orlando Arcia both times. Um, the only thing that was different when it, that got passed on him was that he stared at Orlando Arcia. I have a feeling he still would have hit the same two home runs. I don't <laughs> think it. I don't think it was the extra motivation that Bryce Harper needed. Um, but just the fact that that was a discussion, maybe it was just a, maybe that was a product of division series all kind of ending quickly and with a thud that instead of a lot of interesting on-field stuff it's like well here's something we can all shout at each other about for a while yeah let's gravitate to this yeah i I think your your point is right about how uh there wasn't a whole lot that was interesting until then and then um you know I, i i wasn't there i've I'm not like Murph, you know, where I've never been in a clubhouse. I have been in a few clubhouses, but um, I, I wasn't in this particular one. But it's my suspicion that uh, Arcia uh, knew what he was doing and did that on purpose so it would get back to Harper because he was feeling, you know, he was feeling himself a little bit and then probably immediately regretted, oh, crap, what did I do? Um, because the, those guys know he's been around for a long time. Arcia, he's yeah. not. It's not his first year. 
you know, he uses an interpreter when he um, does interviews, but he speaks and understands English. Attaboy Harper is in English. <laughs> that is not Spanish. So um, that's an American idiom. And uh, so I suspect that that was uh, kind of a harebrained uh, moment of jubilation or whatever trash talking on his part and uh i'm sure he regrets it but like you said you know harper is probably going to hit those home runs anyway um it's it's more about what goes on and that all the other stuff is theater pretty much and uh, so you know i i don't think the the report and it was more than one reporter it was it was uh jake mintz who's um the suspended suspended uh, barbecue half of that team so he's a little irreverent, but he's a reporter, a journalist-ish. And the other person who reported it was uh, Chelsea Janes, who's, yeah. who works for the Washington Post. So, um, you know, that was that was all uh, fair game. And and I also suspect uh, said purposely so they, they would hear it. It's not something you're going to say in an interview or attribute your name to it, but that's something that, you know, hey, if I shout this loud enough, Harper will hear and then afterward, they regretted it. Yeah. So I think that's what was happening there. Yeah, I mean, they're both in the Baseball Writers Association of America. So we then had to issue a statement to basically say, you know, we stand behind these two and what they did is fine. Um, and I guess the difference was she didn't see who yelled it. So she reported it without attribution and he saw who yelled it. So he said, hey, it was, it was yeah. Orlando. She got it on tape. She was interviewing somebody else, and it was like ambient noise or whatever. And it, you know, yeah. it's such a weird thing to yell, too. Um, and that was it, it. I didn't overshadow it. It was the it was the byproduct of an incredible ending to that game, where Austin Riley had hit the one-handed two-run homer to give the Braves the lead, and then it looked like the Braves were going to give it right back, but Michael Harris. I, I smashed into the fence and made an incredible catch. And then the Harper had, you know, he's, he's his own third base coach and he should be, he's a good, he's a good, he's a good base runner. And he looked at it and said, well, he's not catching that. And he was going to score or tie the game and then realized, Oh shit, he did. And then it took, um, Riley being in the right spot at the exact right time to make that, to make that throw. And they barely got him anyway. So I don't even know that it was that bad of base running. It was just a, two well, great plays by the Braves. I think he probably could, Harper could have gotten, you, you said he's his own third base coach, and that's funny because he was, earlier in the series, he uh, ignored um, Dusty Wathen, yeah. you know, and was safe pretty, pretty easily safely at home, but he ran through a stop sign and um, said that he, he didn't see him. Um, so he kind of, you know, Harper definitely, What's a nice way to put this? You know, he thinks he's the smartest player on the field. Yeah. And I, I don't know that that's in, in such a, in a bad way, but he gets himself into trouble potentially a little bit for being a little too adventurous. I think he could have like stopped at second and still scored. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you're, that's, that's easier for us to say when we're watching from home or the press box or whatever, when you're on the field on second base, I totally understand why he did what he did. You know, that, uh, the play that Austin Riley made was probably the the best 
it's probably the best defensive play of the playoffs and maybe of the season. It was uh, he was it was it was like uh, Jeter mm-hmm. uh, getting the ball and doing the relay uh, against Jambi in Oakland, but better. And it was, uh, um, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, it saved the day for sure. I mean, we're, we're not talking about this in the same way if Riley doesn't make an extraordinary play on defense to save the, uh, the, the cutoff throw and then get Jeter and get uh, Harper. Yeah. It's one of those where, you know, it's right place at the right time, but it's also not just standing around, right? Like what else? Yeah. Riley has nothing else to do on that play. You know, once Harper is running away from third base, but get himself in a spot where he can help out. And he did. For all you and, little leaguers out there, that's, that's right. why you always keep moving on the play. There's always somewhere for you to run. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, we joke about that, but that's there you go. That's uh, it's a good teaching moment. I'm going to remember that if I'm coaching baseball again this spring for my son. Yeah. Uh, also, a, a moment I really enjoyed in that, or it's a series of moments I enjoyed in that series, uh, was um, uh, Rob Thompson, but not that Rob Thompson. Um, who manages the Phillies for real now, not just on an interim basis like he did last year. Um, going to his two end-of-the-game relievers in the 6th and 7th because that's when he needed them. You know, there was a threat the first time, I think when Kimbrel came in, and he's like, we can lose the game right here. Saving him for the ninth isn't going to do us any good, and the same with Alvarado, maybe it was opposite. Um... But you just don't see managers do that. They all talk about it. They all talk about, oh, I'd be willing to use my uh, that guy at any point. But when they do, it's kind of the Joe Madden, bring a roll to sin and go, all right, buddy, and see if you can get us nine outs. <laughs> <laughs> Not with the plan that you're going to pitch a normal amount, but you're going to pitch it right now, and we'll figure out the end at the end. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bochy better not try that this year. I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> yes, it's. Uh, there have been other examples of kind of the, the the super analytics moments where they they bring them into high leverage, but that was that was real early. It was totally the right thing to do, and I don't know how many other managers do that. You know, I I don't. Um, it's almost like they bring him in. Everything worked out because sometimes you'll see it in the eighth inning. You'll see it in the eighth inning a lot where, not a lot, but more, where they'll bring in the really good closer type for the meat of the order. And it's kind of a just in case. It all kind of worked out where there was sort of an emergency situation and he had the uh, the best relievers you know, going. And it was... Um, you know, it, it's it's hard to know when to do that because you still have to get a whole bunch more outs. And, I mean, the, it was kind of touch and go there for the yeah. Phillies in the last couple innings. It was like, you know, were they uh, – it wasn't so much that, you know, did he – was he premature, but, you know, do they have enough relievers to finish this game? And uh, I think some people were thinking they'd, they'd bring in Orion Kirkering to, uh, to, to finish it off, but I guess he's been a little too unstable. But the, the Phillies still had enough – decent relievers to uh to get out of the jam it's uh it was kind of a perfect storm and um i don't know if if i if, if we're going to see that again in the playoffs it just kind of all kind of came together there and it was kind of a fun moment where you bring in your high leverage guys and in an emergency situation and they get out of it well it's funny i think everybody thought when they used alvarado and kimbrell in the sixth and seventh that they would finish yeah. with some kind of combination of kirkering and hoffman they didn't use either guy yeah they got the six outs without having to go to either one of them, which is always too bad because whenever Orion Kirkering pitches, then TBS just shoves a camera right up his dad's nose. Very, very marquee sports network style. Here's his dad. That's thanks. Why, why are we watching this? Because he cried the first time. He's not crying again. The kid already made his big league debut. Dad is done crying. You can stop trying to show it. Um, yeah, when I was when we were talking about the Harper thing. It was really strange to me then. They had a, it not it was vaguely similar, somewhat similar. Um, in the uh, ALCS, when uh, Jose Altuve did not retouch second base, and it was so weird because yeah. he was right there. He like stepped right next to it, and it's like he knows the rule. I wonder if he just stepped and missed it and said screw it and just kept running but the whole everything looked odd in fact when they first challenged it i thought there's no way he didn't touch the base he was all over it. he was basically running circles around the base and he didn't he touched right. it going past but didn't he stepped right next to it with both feet right going back in the other direction it's a hard thing to uh it's sort of like you know getting back to the harper base running blunder uh, you know what should he have done 
you know, when you're in the moment like that, even like super professional athletes kind of lose themselves and th you're sort of afraid to, uh, to look around for the base. Cause then I don't know if you think you're going to get your legs tied up or you're going to get you more confused, but it's, it's funny that how often you'll see guys not even look and sometimes they touch the base and sometimes they don't, but they don't even look to see where they are. It's almost like, well, if I'm not, if I can't trust my instincts or whatever, I'm not going to do it. And, um, it's uh now to me though you know it's kind of an iffy he's had some weird base running too not not so much out of a aggression but he's he's lost himself a little bit before the bases got a reputation for that so um maybe he and harper are similar in that way but um it it, it is funny how all the training these guys go through and the big moments i mean how many big moments has jose altuve been in and you know they still screw up sometimes wasn't it it was either Lonnie Smith or Vince Coleman. One of them ran straight across the infield one time. Do you remember that? They clearly didn't know the rule and just they had rounded second and the ball got caught and they just took they just ran a straight line back to first base. Not bothering Something with second base at all. E ball game or whatever. Yeah. And it's like really how long have you played baseball? This has never happened to you before, ever? Right. Or you've never seen it? It's like, nope. I just you know, I'll run wherever the hell I want. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Um, so a guy that I was, um, I mean, how can you not be impressed by, uh, precocious, he's more than a rookie cause he didn't come up until really late in the season, but, um, Evan Carter of the Rangers, Man. he came up because, uh, Adolis Garcia smashed into the wall, right. And sprained his ankle and they thought he was going to be yeah. out longer than he was so like, fine, right. we'll just bring this kid up. And then Boch got to look at him, and they never let him go back. To the point where he's just like, uh, you know, I know this is a tough left field to play here in Houston. You've never played here, but tough. <laughs> You're gonna learn it. And he made he made right. an incredible catch. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else I was gonna say other than he's he's really good. It's uh, I mean he's uh, and it's funny too how they always make a big deal about how his nickname is Full Count. <laughs> And the minor, I think it is a full count. Is that it? The three, two pitch, something like that. And it's like, cause every time he, he gets the three, two and then it happens, you know, and they go, <laughs> he did it again. But I mean, he's just, uh, yeah. And it's, um, I think he's an example of a guy, the Rangers sort of had as good as their offense and as, you know, as much as they had going for them all season. They kind of always were missing a guy, you know. It was usually like a DH. That's why we saw so much of uh, of um, Robbie Gross uh, Grossman. Yeah, is it Robbie Grossman? It's Robbie Grossman. In fact, they were like, yes. "There is no weak link in this Rangers lineup," and I'm like, "Robbie Grossman's batting third. I think there's He's a big third. weak link, and I don't know why Bruce Bochy is batting that weak link third, but he is." It it worked out. Maybe it was like a cry for help. I don't know. Yeah, maybe but it was. I'm going to bat this dud third until you give me an Chris actual Young, third hitter. Chris Young. Hey, yeah. look who's hitting third. You see what I'm saying here? Um, but he's, uh, yeah, Evan Carter has been, uh, sets a great example at the plate, you know, let, makes the pitcher work, draws a lot of walks, and gets hits, makes those plays in left field. And uh, it's 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 like good for the Rangers for bringing him up and developing this guy. But you know where was he in June? You know that he probably should have been here all along. So um, you can, I guess, we can criticize 
too. But think he's of been all, uh, think of all the service time they maker. saved. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the Rangers both worlds. half a billion dollars in payroll are going to worry about. You know, Evan Carter is going to. He's not really the, the kind of guy that is going to go out and <laughs> break the bank when he becomes a free agent. As good as he is, I mean, you know, we're not talking about Aaron Judge. I don't think. Maybe I'm misjudging him, but selling him short. But yeah. Well, I mean, it could be. I always think whenever th- uh, this happens. It doesn't happen that often, but you get all of a sudden a, a rookie who kind of shows up late in the season, touted or otherwise. I always think back to Greg Jeffries and the 88 Mets. Yeah. Where he showed up, and he was amazing for them. You know, for a really good right. team, and all of a sudden he's the only guy that could hit in the playoffs against the Dodgers. Right. In fact, he'd been impressive at the end of the season to the point where some guys voted for him for Rookie of the Year when he was going to be eligible for Rookie of the Year the next year. And they're like, can you win it twice? Yeah. And that was as good as it ever got for Greg. Like he was a he was a solid player for years, but he was never the star everybody thought. Um, but you add based on that short sample size in the playoffs, you thought, man, this dude, you know, he's going to be an all star fifteen times. That's actually a really good question. Can you can you win Rookie of the Year twice? I mean, it's it would seem like the answer is no, and there might be something in the in the rules that say you can't, but you certainly can be voted on more than once because yeah. Randy Rosarena, it was like three times. <laughs> yeah, three-time rookie of the year vote getter, Randy Rosarena. <laughs> you mean he got three votes? Yeah. No, no, three different years. Like, he was the Susan Lucci of rookie <laughs> of the year. That was like my old favorite stat about Ken Griffey Jr. Um, was he, he did not win rookie of the year. But he was younger than the guy who won the American League Rookie of the Year his first eight seasons. (laughs) And part of that was because they had a couple of – they had Bob Hamlin and Marty Cordova who were old winners. But it was amazing. It wasn't until he was 27 years old that somebody finally won the Rookie of the Year and was younger than Junior. It was amazing. (laughs) I had to put him in the Hall of Fame just for that, even if he did nothing else. Um. So a lot of people. To see, oh, uh, go ahead. Kind of a left turn here, but are you excited to see Ken Griffey acting again in uh, Geico commercials. He's uh, with his with Mrs. Griffey. Yeah, I uh, the two things about that commercial, the 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 one they're both in is the one where the umpire moves in next door. Number one, why is the umpire kicking leaves on Ken? That seems like the uh, backwards, right? Right. Like the umpire should be getting kick things on, not on. Right. Uh, and the only part of the commercial that I genuinely enjoy is when she gets thrown out, she, like, Ken has to grab her because she's going to go after the ump. <laughs> I really like I really like that. Um, yeah, it is nice to see. You know, we were juniorless for, for quite a while. And then, um, you know, he showed up, and he was the hitting coach for the great um, World Baseball Classic team, and now he's he's everywhere again. He's getting back into it. So a lot is being made of the home field advantage that the Phillies have in that their crowd basically goes nuts from an hour before the game until an hour after the game. They don't sit down. They they chant now like they're a soccer team. They sing. They do all kinds of stuff. And I got to thinking about how, you know, like when you and I were growing up, 
Phillies fans were not known for that kind of enthusiasm. They were known right. for the other kind. You know, booing, throwing batteries at people, throwing snowballs at Santa Claus, booing Santa Claus, that kind of stuff. And as a Cub fan, I like to relate everything back to the Cubs. Um, I know how it's it's different for me now that the Cubs actually won. I feel like it's kind of the same thing for Phillies fans, right? Uh, they did win in 80, but it had been a long time. And then it was a long time again until they won in 08. And I feel like it's just, like, they're, and they've won, the Eagles have uh, uh, won a Super Bowl and been in another Super Bowl. I feel like they're just, Phillies fans are in a better place. And now they can yeah. just enjoy stuff instead of carrying around the extra baggage of, we're not New York, we're always, we're the, we're the city that's within easy driving range that just gets shit on all the time. And so they're just, it's just freed them up to just be happy and excited. And it is even on TV. It's, it's a, it's an incredible atmosphere for a game. I don't think it is the same kind of happy and excited that people in other cities, you know, it's still, there, there's still a, a, a more than a tinge, you know, I think that the chip on the shoulder and um, you know, it's—they're not throwing things, but they're—they're uh, still kind of savage in their in their glee. Um, you know, yeah, lots of shade and fruit, and um, you know, it's—it's it's fun if it's not happening to you. You know, I think you know it's uh, it's intimidating. It's uh, it, it, it's you know not quite the, the brute force of before, but. Um, you know they are enjoying themselves because they know their team is good and they they have a chance so it changes their outlook a little bit but i think they still you know deep down harbor that um fear that things are going to blow up at any moment and um so you know a, as they are having fun they're doing so in a way that um you know i still feel like things could go haywire at any moment and the place could explode yeah. in, a, in a terrible way. So yeah, they're I think still, they're, you know, they, they're still, they still have a little bit of that baggage that they, they carry around on the inside. Yeah. The booze can come out at any moment, but yeah. until then they're just going to enjoy themselves. Uh, for me, I felt like I felt that in, um, I mean, cause you know, Cubs fans forever. We had become accustomed to, it's not a matter of if shit is going to go bad. It's when it's going to go bad. And you right. lived your whole life like that. And after they won the pennant in 16, you know, then they finally come home. They, they get to play their first three World Series games since 1945. And they lose the first two. And now they're down three to one. And the Indians can win the World Series at Wrigley Field. And that was prime for a weird, angsty crowd. Yes. And the Cub fans didn't do it. Even when they fell behind one to nothing, it was an oddly like excited, supportive crowd. And then when they got the lead, they never gave it back in the World Series. They once Chris Bryant tied the game with a home run, they never trailed in that whole World Series again. Right. That that crowd doesn't do that if they hadn't watched them win a pennant a week before. Yeah. It's like all right, no matter what happens, we got, we got to a World Series finally. And um, you know, I'm not saying if they had lost that World Series, everything goes bad again. Then right. it's all back to holy crap! Why can't we win? But at least for one brief. So I feel like I, I feel like I know how the Philly fans 
feel right now, which is we're just going to really enjoy this until you give us a reason not to. And then. Yeah, I definitely feel that similarity for sure. I think, uh, you know, we mentioned uh, earlier and, and how uh, Trey Turner was going bad and they, you know, did the pivot and, you know, rather than pile on, they thought, you know, it was a little more thoughtful because, you know, no matter how the fans are going to react to Trey Turner, how long is that contract? Is it, mm-hmm. Did he sign like a 10-year contract? Is something like that, eight or 10 years? Maybe not that long. but No, I think it's 10. I think it's 10, $330 million. Dollars. Right. So he's going to be here for a while. Yeah. So, you know, if we – they thought about it, and, uh, you know, if we turn on him, maybe it's even longer until he comes out of this funk. So um, it's hard to say how much fan action has an impact on how well a guy plays or doesn't play, but do, I think it, it helped a little bit. It, it certainly didn't hurt. Do we so know what I think prompted being more thoughtful. Do we know what prompted that standing ovation? Like It was a uh, Trey Turner appreciation day. And they all just decided in mass to do it. Uh, I think it, it was it was one of those viral things where it was. It's I think it started as a, a prominent fan uh, with some followers on social media who just kind of said, "Hey, you know, everybody expects." I think it might it might have even gone back to last year when Alec Bohm was having a hard time. And he said, uh, you know, I effing hate this place after the fans were, were, were ripping him. Uh, again, sort of like Arcia, I think it was – I'm sure he did. I believe that he meant that. Um, but I think from there, the, the fans, rather than pile on, that was kind of like the, the, the prototype for what happened with Turner. And they were – they tried to be positive with him. And uh, he ended up having a great second half and, and a good playoffs. And I think that's sort of where it started. And I think it, it was, I think it was one person on social media saying, Hey, let's react differently than the world expects us to. And um, let's try and be positive for the guy. And, uh, you know, even though he does, nobody deserves a standing ovation for what Turner has done so far, let's give it to him and see what happens. So I, I think it was one of those kind of organic things. I tried little, to organize you know, a little forced but organic. I tried to organize the same kind of thing for Jameson Tyon when he got off to a bad start this year for the Cubs. I tried to get fans to just throw canned hams onto the field for him. <laughs> uh, it didn't. It didn't catch on. He got one bologna sandwich wrapped in wax paper tossed from the corner of the um, left field bleachers. That's about all he got. He did eat it. Um, if you hit people in the front row with a canned ham, though, that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You think yeah, they crack down on cup snakes? Wait till somebody tries a canned ham snake. <laughs> Good lord, those things are heavy. And uh, you know, conversely, you know, we talk about bad reactions. Um, you know, the Braves fans were throwing trash yeah. after. I don't even remember what it was, but uh, you know, it occurred to me, or it occurred to an announcer. You know, you, you'd think you'd see this in some other cities. Uh, before you'd see in Atlanta, but the Braves fans a, a couple years ago did it as well. One or two times they've been famous for trash in the field. I think probably most cities have done kind of that, and that's just always the, the wrong thing to do no matter what. So, um, Famously in uh, 
in Chicago it happened on uh, Randy Myers blew a save on Randy Myers poster day and all the fans threw the posters on the field and I asked Randy about it and he said if I had had a poster I'd have thrown it on the field too <laughs> um, yeah it happened the Braves did it in that wild card uh, game against the Cardinals when the when the infield yeah. fly rule was inappropriately applied uh, yeah but I mean, if everybody all of a sudden understands that yes especially in Atlanta I mean I don't know I if you gave an IQ test to that crowd I don't uh, know how many of them would register really surprised you'd have that kind of ugly fan behavior from a fan base that uh, all get together and do a racist uh, chant at odd times during games yeah, yeah. what a shock um, so as we as we sit here um, the um, it's always weird to me that the uh, one series will have played two games before the other one gets started Right. And that happened again, where the Rangers were up two no two no, nil before the um, uh, National League one even got started. But as we sit here, the Rangers are up two games to none, and the uh, Phillies have a one game uh, to none lead over the Diamondbacks. Um, the Astros had a losing record at home this year. Right. So they must they're probably just thrilled to get out of Minute Maid and go to and go to. Arlington or Dallas or wherever that park is um, and play. So that series, there was a few things. The, the Astros didn't play well at home. The Astros easily won the season series against the Astros or against the Rangers. Yes. They had a, a series in <laughs> in, uh, in the Rangers ballpark where I think they won the three-game series like 39-8. to eight. <laughs> Yeah. So it probably feels like that series is not uh, is not over. At two games and plus, we've got Max Scherzer coming back, and uh, he is—you uh, never—you know, you never know what you're going to get. We talked about Kershaw being iffy, and, and Scherzer is kind of at that point too, maybe. So, um, we'll see if he's, yeah, how you know what his three or four innings is going to be like. Max Scherzer pitched one of my all-time favorite playoff innings ever. Mm. And it was not the one where he came out of the bullpen uh, to beat the 107, uh, to get the save, I guess, in over the 107 win Giants a couple of years ago. Right. And then um, by the end of the inning was only throwing like 85 miles an hour and then made a start right. against the Braves and couldn't throw more than 85 miles an hour. And there was, uh, <clears throat> he left his arm literally in the in the bullpen at San Francisco. He left his heart and his arm in the bullpen at San Francisco. <laughs> it was when uh, in game uh, – Gabe five of the 2017 NLDS uh, <laughs> when the Nationals got the lead and Dusty said, all right, we're bringing Max in and he's going to shut these Cubs down. And the Cubs, I think it's the only inning in big league history, right, where the Cubs reach base every way that it's possible <laughs> to reach base. They, they reached on a hit. They reached on a walk. They had a hit batter. They had a um, they had a catcher's interference. They had everything, and there was Max with his weird two different colored eyes leaving before the inning was over. It was right. Just, yeah. Because it's one of those things as as a baseball fan, one of the coolest things you see in the postseason is bullpen door swings open, and out comes the other team's best pitcher in a spot where he normally doesn't pitch. You know, I mean, you, 
You saw it all those years, and you saw it most famously when in Kansas City, the bullpen door opens up, and here comes Madison Bumgarner just ready to shove it up the Royals' ass. And Cubs fans got to live that in 16 when the doors opened and John Lester came out. And here we were a year later, and it's, oh, it's Max. And it didn't work. And it was Max, and it was Dusty. And it was just great. That killed the trend. It did. And then Wade Davis had to pitch like four innings and Jose Catana had to get it out and they had to get on the plane and Jose's wife had a panic attack and they landed in Albuquerque and the Cubs dynasty was off the rails. But it was after the Max thing, not before. Yeah. We had that moment, at least. Um, is Everybody's like, Astros and Rangers, they don't like each other. Is that a real rivalry? Well, I think it's, uh, I'm not as informed on the details, but I think it's, I mean, it has become more of a real rivalry since they came to the same division. I think before it was maybe more like a Cubs-Sox thing where the cities didn't, the fan bases didn't like each other. And, uh, you know, big brother, little brother kind of a thing. Um, But since they've, since the, the Rangers have, gotten good again and they're in the same division as the the astros um coming off the you know the astros being so good in the playoffs i think it's it's developed into that so um i don't know too many more details about like specific incidents that might have happened in the games the last couple years that have made it come along but i think the competitiveness the authentic competitiveness of both teams is in the same division has made it more real they're, the franchises are roughly the same age. The Astros are an expansion team. The um, the Rangers were a de facto expansion team where you let you let Washington bring the Senators back again, and then you just waited a few years, and then right. they just let they just moved. Like Senators right. one went to Minnesota, Senators two went to Texas, uh, and then I always felt like the Tex uh, Texas was always the um, kind of the little brother in that mostly because their park didn't have a roof so it was just a million degrees and mosquitoes as big as cars and nobody wanted to go to the games and then other than Billy Martin running around screaming at everybody and um, and Whitey Herzog teams trying to steal a million bases with a bunch of you know bunch of fat slow white guys they just didn't have a lot going until they uh, famously blew a World Series against the Cardinals because uh, Nelson Cruz couldn't catch a routine fly ball right the Astros are in their seventh consecutive league championship series. And there was all this talk about if they win another one, that'd be three, and then that'll, you know, they can be considered a dynasty because there's some kind of artificial like checklist that you have to go through yeah. for a dynasty. Um, but they don't get the credit that they think they deserve, and objectively they deserve it, because they got caught cheating. <laughs> when, they, when they won their first World Series. And right. they can't get over the fact that people are still mad at them about that. Uh, it's like, guys, it was what you did was, like, everybody tries to cheat. What you guys did was right. even more, it was so brazen that even other baseball teams went, oh, God. Yeah. Whoa, you know, you can't do that. Um, do you think we'll look back with some hindsight and maybe appreciate just how good this run is? Or do you think that 
stink will always be on it? That's a great million dollar question. I, uh, I think the, the intensity of the stink has abated a little bit, but it's always, even in, uh, you know, open-minded people such as you and I, it's always in the back of our minds, even though we're, you know, you just said, you know, they deserve the credit. I'm pretty sure you're, you know, we're, we're wondering, well, are they still cheating? You know, yeah. what are they doing now? That's, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I wondered this about the steroid era, so-called, as if no one's doing steroids now. Um, you know, what people will think of the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Brady Anderson era. And it still bothers people. And that's, that's, 25 years now gone or 20 years so no i i don't i don't know the longer we go and the, the if there's no more uh scandals you know maybe but i think it's always gonna kind of be there yeah. and uh and it's all and, and you sort of said this too it's it's baseball has always had teams that cheated and pushed the envelope and it's just it's kind of hard to believe that um, that they won't keep trying to do that. So um, the next time there's a cheating scandal, no matter what team it is, the old Astros will be brought up. So I I don't think it's ever going to die completely, uh, but you know they, they they make for good villains, I guess, good foils. Yeah, I mean the the Braves built this run. They started it under a GM who was just falsifying birth certificates of right. Dominican prospects. And they think they caught them all, but they don't know. You know, he lost his job over it. Um, but the, you know, the, the Astros thing, it's, re- it's not objectively, it's really impressive to have a run this long, considering that really the only guy who's been there through the, all of it is El Tuve. They've right. replaced everybody else. It's, you know, it's not just... We put this one core together and we wrote it as long as we could. You know, they have they they lost George Springer and they lost Carlos. They didn't they didn't lose and they let him go. Right. They didn't want to pay him. They let him go and then they, you know, Correa leaves and they plug Jeremy Pena in and for one off one postseason he's amazing and he's the NL or the ALCS and World Series MVP. And so you have to admire the fact that they at least have that. You know, they could plug in that kind of talent. The one that's crazy to me is the um, the fact that they got um, Jordan Alvarez for Josh Field. Oof. <laughs> and the Dodgers' defense is like, well, we he'd never actually played yet, <laughs> right? Yeah, but you, s- yeah, maybe you should have evaluated it before you traded him for right. a mediocre middle reliever. You traded Big Poppy, you know, 2.0. Who might have come in handy? Yeah, I think he is. Uh... I think he is the best hitter in baseball. I think it's just objectively so. It's just impossible to pitch to him. It's ridiculous. And it's, and, you know, it's kind of possible to pitch to Judge and some other people. I, th- I think this this guy's the best hitter. Uh, Juan Soto has not really developed into that. It seemed like he was gonna. Um, yeah. But Jordan Alvarez is uh, 
what everybody could have thought Juan Soto was going to be when he was 19 or 20. So, and he's still doing it. Yeah, he was apparently he was sick before game two. They couldn't keep any. They, they tell you more than you need to know. Couldn't keep food down. Couldn't do whatever. Dusty wasn't going to put him in the lineup. Put him in the lineup because he's DH. He can go lay on the. He can go lay in the clubhouse. It's two home runs. <laughs> I think he had uh, Michael Jordan's Utah pizza delivered. Yeah. I think that's what it was. That's probably what it was. Yeah, you were asking about who's going to remember the, like, what's the feeling about the steroid era now this many years, you know, 25 or whatever years later. And I can tell you that it, uh, thankfully, thankfully Tom Ricketts is looking out for the fans <laughs> by shunning Sammy because that's clearly what the fans want. Yeah, but even that, there's there's weird stuff with that. There's the people who are like, it's ridiculous that, um, and they'll lump, they get greedy, they lump too many guys together. It's ridiculous that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Mark McGuire aren't in the Hall of Fame because they would have been Hall of Famers anyway. And it's like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, Two of those, probably not true. Roger's career had clearly stalled out his last year in Boston. Right. And he had, had like 118 wins. He'd been a great postseason pitcher at times except when he got a blister in game six. Um, he was a, he was going to be in the Hall of Very Good. And then all of a sudden he went to Toronto and he got in shape miraculously, and then he was great for like the next, you know, 12 years and easily put right. up Hall of Fame numbers. McGuire, there's no way that guy's a Hall of Famer if he doesn't turn into, right. the, you know, whatever. Um, too, many, too many injuries. He wasn't on the field enough. It wasn't even a performance. He just, he wasn't compiling enough stats. He wasn't right. going to be around. I mean, they had a well, Russo had to bench him one year because he was at, on the final day of the season, so he wouldn't hit under 200. He was batting 201, mm-hmm. and Tony had to gave him the last day off so he wouldn't go 0 for 4 and hit 199. Yeah, I don't think that's a borderline or a shoe th- sure thing Hall of Famer. And he had Bonds, who he basically started using out of jealousy. Right. He's looking at McGuire. He's looking at McGuire and Sosa. And he's like, I'm so much better than these two assholes. And look at the ridiculous numbers they put up. Fine, I'll do it too. And then you'll see what happens. And it was amazing. <laughs> you know, he's, he used steroids out of spite, basically. <laughs> he, should all, he should get in just for that. He'd be like, all right, fine. It'd be one guy decided he was going to show us. If he took the best player in baseball and loaded him up on steroids, what kind of video game numbers would he put up? And he did. So, fine. Barry, you can go in. I don't think that's why Brady Anderson did it. He did it because his sideburns weren't big enough. He needed bigger sideburns. And the only way he could do that was with steroid shampoo. <laughs> and it's funny to me with the Diamondbacks back in the playoffs again, and they'll go through the, you know, oh, the Diamondbacks all-time record for uh, home runs in a postseason, or whatever it is, and it'll be Luis Gonzalez. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. That shouldn't count. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll, uh, we'll begrudgingly admit Former Cub, Luis Gonzalez. Yeah, he was a great one. Um, yeah, so the Diamondbacks, um, you know, they got down, what was it, 5 nothing in game one, and they chipped their way back. They, you know, they look like they, um, I don't think they're going to be overwhelmed by the Phillies. But what do you th- what do you think there? Do you think um, um... yeah, the, the Phillies will be away from their loyal fans 
Arizona is a weird place, kind of a weird ballpark where weird things happen. Cub fans know this. Yep. Um, and the Diamondbacks, you know, they've had a lot of good runs during the season, but, you know, I think you mentioned that we've also kind of counted them out a little bit because they've had some uh, debilitating moments and some streaks that were bad. I think they can probably get back into the series. Um, you know, it's not like the Phillies crushed them too much in the last game. So um, I think it's uh, it, it's possible to uh, we'll, we'll see what, I mean, it, it, it hurt a little bit that they couldn't win the, the gallon game yeah. because he's, he's clear that they're the best pitcher, yeah. but I suppose Captain Steubing Merrill Kelly can uh, get them back into things. So I think that's possible, and I, I think the uh, the Astros getting away from their home ballpark, which is, uh, like you said, has been so bad for them, maybe can get them back in the series a little bit. Um, and I, I still worry about the, the Rangers' bullpen. Um, I'm not sure how much s'mores we need of Josh Spores, yeah. so... Um, and they're relying on him for some big outs. So we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what Max Scherzer can do uh, if it blows up in his face or not. So I, I, I would say don't be surprised if these series go six games, yeah. seven games. Maybe. Well, that'd be good. That's what, that's what you want. I mean, you want, like, you want some drama. Right. Yeah, well, the role this, you know, Mr. Setup Man now coming in in the eighth. And uh, pitching in his personal house of horrors, the uh, Enron Minute Maid Dome, whatever it is. The, you know, the I guess that game was on Fox. So um, when the ball gets hit with the one where Altuve ended up getting doubled off, the camera kind of pushed back. It didn't follow the ball immediately. It kind of pushed back from home plate. And the look yep. on a, a roll this stood there like, fuck. I just gave up another home run. <laughs> <laughs> and it got caught instead. So, because they were like, well, you know, he's had some, he's had some terrible moments in this park. Oh, he just had another one, but then he didn't. <laughs> yeah. The Rangers are, um, I mean, that's an interesting team given that I think people are like, well, you know, they just went out and they spent all that money and they got, and they did. I mean, they spent a lot of money on Corey Seager and on Marcus Semien and whatever. But, you know, that's a team that they, there's just a lot of really good young, their own guys like Jonah Heim and uh, uh, Hierarchy of Needs, um, Josh Young and Evan Carter. Josh Young's made some amazing plays at third base. He he booted one, but he, he made a lot of tough yeah, he's been you know, and he can hit home runs. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty exciting, young player. I did. I enjoyed when he made the error. That's loaded the bases, and then Evaldi got out of it. I enjoyed. He like looked at his glove as though it had horribly betrayed him. I love just, when they do that. Yeah. He just stared at it like, "How did you not catch that?" As I thought we were you know. friends. Um, yeah, you'll enjoy this. So that set up bases loaded, nobody out, and um, <laughs> an inning later. A Cub blogger tweeted out, I think, as if this was like the deepest thought he'd ever had. <laughs> I think the Astros might regret not scoring any runs there with the bases loaded and nobody out. Do you think so? Really? Holy Probably shit. So. You should write this. You need to write these things down. These are gems. 
that's the kind of analysis I, I used to write for Bally Sports. Yeah, at least, it was at least that good. At least it was at least your analysis was at least that deep. Right. Uh, yeah. So I guess the last thing I want to ask you is: Is Jeff Francoeur any good? Uh, as a analyst, I mean, I don't have to worry about his playing days anymore. He's done striking out hundred times this he's, season. I think he's. Uh, he, he has a. I think he he as a broadcaster, he's actually a lot like he was as a player. Um, there's stuff that happens that makes you scratch your head and every once in a while he'll do something he'll say something insightful uh, he might be hurt a little bit by the three man booth I think they, they think he you know the three man booth always to me indicates a lack of confidence in the one analyst to say anything and I think if I think him and Brian Anderson together would be enough um, then again Maybe he would try and say too much and then say silly things too. So I think he has his moments. Uh, I always have a, I have a soft spot for Frank Hoor as a person because he used to uh, like buy fans beer and stuff, and they would send him pizzas, like in Oakland that happened uh, when he played for the Royals. And uh, so I always think he means well. Uh, you know, uh, you know. Conversely, Smoltz is out to, you know, make make us all hate baseball. So um, I give him. The benefit of the doubt. That's my Francoeur analysis. My deep analysis on Jeff Francoeur is he has two handicaps. Number one, he spent way too many years working with Chip. And it takes a <laughs> while. Eventually, the the Chip stuff will wear off. But he also has a he has a bad voice. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's not it's not annoying, but it's also like not authoritative. Right. And so you just it's he's super easy to tune out, is what it is. Like, yeah. you can watch, and you can think back for, like, a, you watch an inning and be like, wait, has he said anything? And you know he's been talking. Right. But nothing's <laughs> stuck. Yeah, I mean, I think when, uh, as a viewer, when I'm like, oh, good, Ron Darling's there to help out, that's probably not a great sign. You know, I like Ron. Yeah. There's no reason not to like Ron Darling. But it's not like he's so good that it's like, oh, thank God. You know? Right. Now, I mean, if you wanted to have, um, you wanted to bring Gary Cohen and Keith Hernandez in and let them work with Ron, I would be all for that. I've, right, I very much enjoyed the ridiculous Mets uh, broadcast booth with Keith wandering off, and trying not to talk about what he saw on Fox News the night before, but uh, instead uh, talking about his 21-year-old 20, cat, Haji, for tell a 15-minute <laughs> story about his cat that's old yeah. enough to drink. Um, yeah. yeah, and with Smoltz, um, I, find, I just find the Fox booth weird. Like, I think Joe Davis is a good announcer, but he he's an announcer who wants to get excited, right? Like he's yeah. looking for any reason to get excited. And where some announcers, you can't get them to ever yell or do anything. He's way too much to the point right. where you never know if, you're, if something exciting is really happening or if Joe has just decided it's time to yell. So you get, a, you get a lot of that. With Smoltz, what you used to get was, and maybe it's because, how about this? He was more tolerable with Joe Buck. Yeah, because Buck would occasionally just call him out of shit, right? And be like, "Really, you know, you, you're going to be the curmudgeon about this too, or whatever." Yes. Davis is never going to do that. He's just going to try to like overpower him with happiness. <laughs> but at least you felt like, even though Smoltz was just all, he has a tone where it always sounds like he's bitching, even when he's not. Right. He has the he somehow has he can always make anything sound like a complaint, even if it's right. not a complaint. He has that gift. 
But you always felt like he was on top of everything until, I think it was uh, game two, he explained the um, the three-pitcher rule wrong. Wrong, yes. Because they brought Spores in, and Smoltz was like, this is a great place to bring him in because he can get the final out here, but because he's finishing the inning, you have the option that if you bring him back that he only has to pitch to one or two batters in the next inning. Like, no, that's not how it works. He can leave now when the inning ends, but if he comes back, he's got to get to three. He's got to pitch to the first two guys, and and John clearly explained it as though you now have the option to use him for as many outs as you want. And it's like that rule is not that new anymore. You should right. really probably know that one. And you know he's also a guy, and I've complained about this a lot. Who and he uses these words, you know, people don't understand. I mean that is that's what Smoltz says about. You know, whenever he's going to make a great point about something, and then he comes out with this three base, uh, three three batter rule, and, and doesn't understand it. So it's just, uh, you know, I, I hate that attitude. It's not, uh, it's not very welcoming. It's like, you know, he's scolding the audience for not being as smart as he is about baseball, and then lots of times he's not that smart. Well, it's like there's two things about it. number one, people don't understand. Well, it's too bad you don't have a forum where you could right. educate us, us on the small right. things about baseball. Maybe without starting the lecture with, all right, morons, here's something you don't know. The other thing is, you're right, it's usually it preface of something completely banal. Like, people don't understand the reason they put that weight on the bat is that then when they bat, the bat feels lighter. <laughs> is that what that's for? I thought it was an actual donut in case they got hungry. They could snack during a pitching change. <laughs> Oh well. Uh, yeah, it's just this is um, it's it gets very jarring as the playoffs move on. Just the inventory that drops off. Like you get used to. Hey, there's four games today, or well, there's still three games today. Right. Well, today there's two. Today there's one. And then soon there will be the days when there are none. Right. And then it's over. Then we go into and then it's game. on to every Cub fan's new favorite thing: the off season, where anything's possible. <laughs> this offseason much better than the real season because in the offseason oh my god every prospect is going to be great and we're going to sign all these guys and we're going to make these trades and this is going to be great and then they go to the winter meetings and they come back with nothing and then they do it's yeah. but Cub fans get really excited because um, the games will end those pesky annoying games and then you're free to just dream about how awesome Jed is going to make your favorite team right alright well enjoy the baseball you as well. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Many of us have herpes.